On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to keep this short. That's an incredible way to start a sermon or a speech or any other sort of proclamation. And 99% of the time someone says, I'm going to keep this short. It isn't true. To start with such a declaration, it puts people at ease because they've been duped into thinking, oh, this will be over quickly. Brevity leads to clarity and all that. I'm going to keep this short is usually the prelude to a bunch of pontificating that often leaves us no wiser than we were when we began. I'm going to keep this short is usually an indication that whatever follows wasn't really thought through and is usually off the cuff, which in a place like this is a bad idea. Who knows what kind of random theological riffraff might come forth from a short stump speech. Now, to be clear, I'm not railing against the strange promise of a short sermon just because Fred Sisler started his sermon that way last week. I would never do something like that from the pulpit. Never, ever, ever. I'm a Christian, after all. I'm full of love, even for Brother Fred. No, I'm talking about this because I'm talking about stump speeches. They're a regular occurrence in the political fabric of our reality. Stump speeches, they trace back to the 19th century when politicians would go about from town to town stumping. They would offer these brief highlights on what they planned to do should they be elected into office. They'd use these key words, these phrases, these stories, and they'd say the same thing over and over and over again. A stump speech is like having one sermon that you preach week after week after week. Now, of course, the stump in stump speech comes from the practice of standing on top of a tree stump in order to get high enough for better visibility, for greater oration. Now, other stumpy items from the 19th century included things like tables, chairs, and even whiskey barrels. Can you imagine if I preached the sermon this Sunday on top a whiskey barrel? John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, was rather famous for preaching on top of his father's gravestone because he had been kicked out of every church that he had preached in. I myself, I prefer preaching from a ladder whenever I have the chance, but we have a little too much going on today. I couldn't preach from a ladder. But here, even here, without a ladder, I'm slightly elevated. I'm in the middle of the chancel area. This is our ecclesial stump where I and plenty of others have stumped for Jesus. We might call it our sanctified stump for salvation. And stump speeches, though often short and repetitive, they really can make all the difference in the world, even when they're short. Because sometimes all it takes is one story, one word even, for all the heavens to open up and all of God's grace comes pouring down. In other words, when the good news actually sounds like good news, it can change everything, even us. A former professor of mine uh, named Stanley Harawas is known for his stump speeches. He has these recurring quotes and these proclamations, these stories that he goes back to over and over and over again. So much so that I remember a classmate of mine asking him in the middle of a lecture once, Dr. Harawas, why do you say the same things over and over again? And he said, because they're true. Because they're true. Now, some years ago, when he was lecturing in Scotland, using those same kind of stumpy proclamations, he was asked to preach at the Cathedral of Edinburgh. It's a massive building, giant stained glass windows, and, and an enormous pulpit. It's hardly a stump. The pulpit is so big that it has its own staircase that preachers have to go through to ascend to, to the height that is the pulpit. 
And when the appointed time came that Sunday morning, Dr. Harawa started to march up the stairs into the pulpit. And right before he got to the top, he heard a small door close behind him, as well as the sound of a key turning in a lock. Obviously a little nervous, perhaps a bit perturbed. Dr. Haramas demanded to know what was happening. And from the other side of the door, he heard a small voice. It's a tradition in this church. Dates back to the Reformation. We lock preachers in the pulpit and we keep them there until they give us good news. We lock them there until they give us good news. Stumping for Jesus. And of course, a stump is no glorious thing. Stumps are ugly. Stump is only possible if a tree has been cut down. Stumps are signs of death. By the time the prophet Isaiah rolls around, the Davidic kingdom is nothing but a stump. All the promise, all the hope, all the dreams, they're gone. The holy city is sacked again and again. People were sent to live in exile. There is no bright hope for tomorrow. And it's looking out at this that Isaiah says, A shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse. A branch will grow from its roots. How strange. It's as if the prophet has lost his ever-loving mind. He looks out on failed promises, idolatry, ruin, and yet he sees hope. Now, feeling stumped is sadly all too familiar for God's people even today, particularly during the season we call Advent. We might rejoice in memories from long ago, but we also know that things can never really be like they once were. We might sit comfortably in the pews on a Sunday morning, but... More often than not, most of us here feel that anxiety that is all too common this season of the year. We might sing all the songs, purchase all the presents, drive around looking at Christmas lights every night, but that doesn't automatically make this the most wonderful time of the year. I mean, we know what it means to be stumped, to feel as if nothing good is left. But what do we do when we feel stumped? To whom do we turn? What relief can we find? Do we flock to Netflix? With a never-ending assortment of holiday movies that follow the exact same formula over and over again. Do you know this? There's a woman. She works in the city. Things seem pretty good about her life, but she gets a phone call. She's got to go home to the farm. She's got a boyfriend in the city, but he's probably not the best guy in the world. So she goes to the farm, and there's the hunk with the beard who's going to change her life and make it right. And she doesn't know what to do. Does she go back to the... Have you heard this story before? There's 500,000 versions of it. Do we go to Netflix? What do we do when we're stumped? Do we go to the ABC store because we heard they're having a discount on liquor? Do we spend our days scrolling through Instagram looking at perfect people and their perfect families and their perfect lives? Now, Kurt Vonnegut once opened that no one should read beauty magazines. You know why? They just make you feel ugly. Instagram's kind of the same thing. And yet Isaiah, Isaiah sees a stump, and when he sees the stump, he sees hope. The roots are still pulling nutrients from the soil. A new shoot will sprout forth, bringing life and life abundant. The new shoot is a sign that God isn't done with God's people. That's what happens when you worship the God of impossible possibility. Even stumps can bring new life. Something new. Sometimes it's a person. Listen, Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. He will fear the Lord. He will delight in the fear. He will come with judgment and righteousness. And he will make all things good. This new shoot will be the difference maker. A warrior. But did you notice what weapons he has? Isaiah says, he shall slay the enemy, not with swords, but with the word. He will destroy all opponents, not by slaying them, but by offering them the spirit. He will wear a belt of righteousness, not with gadgets and gizmos aplenty on it, 
but with love. And with the victory comes even stranger results than the weapons he uses. Isaiah says, The wolf will live with the lamb, the calf and the lion and the fatling together. The cow and the bear shall graze, and a little child will lead them. Everything about this is unexpected. The line of David is nothing but a stump, forsaken and dead. And yet from it the ruler of the cosmos will come. Animals that have no business being together will live in peace. And a child will be in the center of it. It sounds so good. Sounds so perfect. And yet 700 years after Isaiah, a man named John the Baptist shows up. He arrives on the scene preparing the way of the Lord, announcing a baptism for the repentance of sins. He calls the religious elite broods of vipers. Happy Advent, you broods of vipers. It's like saying Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. That's John the Baptist. He calls them broods of vipers because they have lost sight of Isaiah's promise and his vision. He says, even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. A good stump speech always has an object to frighten listeners. What's he going to do with the axe? John the Baptist says there is an axe and it is at the root of the tree. Prepare the way of the Lord. He says, on that day, the shoot of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. What is this signal? What is this sign? Have you ever wondered what became of this tree that was chopped down and left nothing but a stump? Have you ever seen the connection between Isaiah's declaration and John's proclamation? The stump is only possible because a tree has been brought down. Do you know what we did with that tree? We didn't hang lights on it. We didn't put ornaments on it. You know what we did with that tree? We nailed Jesus to it. The root of Jesse, the shoot that comes forth, is the cross. It stands on a hill far away, the emblem of suffering and shame. It's the cross. Some will say this time of year that we need to keep Christ in Christmas. And that's fine. We should do that. But I think if we're going to keep Christ in Christmas, we should also keep the cross in Christmas. It's Advent. It's a time of year when we hear the most difficult, demanding, bad news to ever be called good. It's the cross. The cross, every Advent, it rocks our worlds. It turns our tables. It shakes our foundations. All things are possible during Advent because we worship the God of impossible possibility. The God who delights in upending all of our expectations about how things are supposed to work in this world. Jesus really is the reason for the season, as is his cross. Unless we domesticate the Lord to flannel graphs or perfectly manicured manger scenes, Jesus was and is so provocative that the powers and principalities are forever trying to shut him up. But nothing and no one can stop Jesus. Jesus is going to do and Jesus is going to say whatever Jesus wants to do and wants to say. Not even the cross can stop Jesus. In fact, the cross becomes our salvation. The cross is a stump that gives new life. That's why we call it glorious. Therefore, whenever someone stands in a place like this and stumps for Jesus, we're called to do exactly that. We point to Jesus Christ, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, the one who makes a way where there is no way. See, the promise of Advent is that no matter what stumps us in this life, God is going to get what God wants. Predator and prey will dwell together. Peace will reign. A child will lead us. The promise of Advent is that Jesus is the shoot, the branch that grows into a cruciform tree that bears the fruit we call salvation because Jesus is forever stumping on our behalf. 
even when it costs him his life. The promise of Advent is that new life always starts in the dark, whether in the womb or in the tomb, whether underground or when the lost is found, new life starts in the dark. So the next time you encounter a stump in your life, the next time you feel stumped, rejoice. You may just be seeing your salvation. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.